On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. White, couple of jab steps, comes up shooting top three, bam! Put him in the Hall of Fame! Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. What more, what more y'all want me to prove, man? Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Jordan Malley. Jordan, great to see you. Through our 670 score scope. Yep. Where is he? And it's right over there, Bill. Joining me now, Matt Peck. Locked on Bulls podcast. Producing podcasts left and right, even in the offseason. On Twitter, at Locked on Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. I don't have a Twitter. I don't do anything like that. And I love what you guys do with the show. I listen to every episode. You guys are one of the best podcasts, period. Y'all keep going with I love you guys. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. It's 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 raw. You can just see the vibe. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. Okay, cool. I was hoping it wasn't one of those knucklehead programs. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jordan Malley, along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369. Drop your text, your voicemails, anything you got for us at 331-979-1369. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. Comment, tell them Locked On sent you. Great, great, great overtime win yesterday, Matt. Good to see the Bulls back, fighting back, clawing their way back after back and forth with a pretty damn good Pacers team. was good to see them pull out a win again in overtime yesterday. We'll get into that. Also want to get into some just kind of around the league stuff. Draymond Green had some stuff to say post game that I think is very interesting. Matt, I want to get your thoughts on that as well. But how you doing, man? Um, Glad to be back with you on the mic. So how did you like an overtime win yesterday? What up, Jordan? What up, Bulls Nation? Uh, definitely nice to get that win. Um, you know, the cherry on top was the pleasant surprise return of Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, returning early from his thigh injury. You know, uh, I was talking yesterday on the uh, Monday's episode about his questionable label on Monday midday and that Sunday we learned that he was a full participant in practice um, and, and, you know, I said yesterday, I, I would be surprised to see him actually active and playing, thinking maybe the Bulls would give him another day or two of practices on off days before throwing him out there. But, you know, there he was in the starting lineup um, last night, which was really great to see. He, he did only get in, you know, three to four minute spurts um, because he clearly did not have his legs under him yet and, and did not have his proper conditioning. I mean, I'm pretty sure he he motioned over to Donovan like three and a half minutes into the first quarter asking for a sub because he was already just gassed. But when when there are so many pieces of bad news this season, in recent seasons, when it comes to this Bulls team and injuries, that was a nice, pleasant surprise. Let's get into this game a little bit, man, because uh, the Bulls at one point had an 11-point lead in the third quarter and sort of let that trickle away by the Pacers going on a bunch of little, little, like, I shouldn't say little. There were a bunch of, like, short runs within two, two and a half minutes throughout this game, whether it be a 9-0 run, 11-2 run, when we've talked about the Bulls kind of giving up those big runs and not being able to jump back. They did make up for this, though. 
and we can talk a little bit about Zach Levine too. And I think he had a frustrating night, even though he put up thirty nine and three, man, on four threes. Let's talk a little bit about what you liked in this game, though, because I did like the fact that the Bulls bench scored thirty seven points last night, thanks to Denzel Valentine, Thomas Sadoransky, and Thaddeus Young. Sato and Thad looked really, really good out there together, and finally looked like they had some chemistry together. What else did you like about yesterday's win? I, I like the fact that they, yeah, I, I've been frustrated at times this season watching the Bulls rebounding, um, you know, particularly on the defensive end. And don't get me wrong, there were still some late game possessions that Indiana had where they were, you know, given a second chance opportunity because they were able to corral an offensive rebound. And the Bulls have to continue to get better at that. Uh, obviously, Donovan's going with some pretty small lineups recently, um, you know. Cornette only played nine minutes um, in, in this game. Wendell, 21, as I said, because he still hasn't working on his conditioning. And, and Gafford was a DNP after all of his struggles filling in for Wendell in the starting lineup. So, you know, it's not like you're expecting the Bulls to be dominant on the boards. But despite a couple of late game instances where they really should have corralled a defensive rebound to preserve their lead, um, they did have a 20 uh, 20 rebound edge over the Pacers. Uh, 21, actually. 60 to 39, they out-rebounded. Um, or, no, I'm sorry. That's defensive. Uh, 60 to 47 was the total uh, rebounding edge. So still a quality advantage to the Bulls in rebounding. And I like that it was a team effort. You look through the box score. Patrick Williams had nine. Wendell had nine. Kobe had seven. Temple gave you four. Zach had nine. Thad Young, 11 rebounds off the bench. Sato had... Uh, Sato had three. Denzel had four. Archie uh, had two. Like, you know, gang rebounding, group effort rebounding. I think that has been a weakness on this team this season, and it was good to see that last night. I did see a lot of criticism of Kobe White early on in yesterday's game on social media, but he figured it out, man. I mean, TJ McConnell played 42 minutes last night. 42 fucking minutes last night and was being a pain in the ass, man, and good for him. This is all... On a positive note of TJ McConnell's game, he that's exactly what he's supposed to do is be a pain in the ass. And he was in that first quarter and kind of taking advantage of Kobe White. Kobe figured it out, though, and, and wasn't letting him do that and was going straight at the rim in the second half. And you see it. He scored 19 points. He's still got to figure out that three-point shot. But I'm not so much concerned about that because he did. Like you said, he had eight, eight assists. He had seven rebounds last night and damn near close to a, a triple-double, too. So I was impressed with Kobe White's second half half uh the thing that frustrated me the most actually there was two things let's talk about the first one is the bulls gave up two separate separate runs in that little mini runs in that first half and the way that they were trying to combat some of the stale offense and the missed shots were all of a sudden for like four or five possessions guys were just going one-on-one to the basket and were getting denied every single time whether it would be block shot miss shot uh turnover i don't know why the bulls decide to do that when they realize that their passing is good. When they have good ball movement, they find guys open and they score buckets. I don't know why it is when teams go on these short little runs and the Bulls seem to be in a scoring drought that all of a sudden they think that all four guys stand around the perimeter and just let somebody go ISO to the basket to try to get a bucket. That never works for this team. Did you notice that too? Or was there any frustrations that you had with this team? Yeah, I, I absolutely noticed. I mean, it's a recurring theme this season. It's a young team. And we've seen Billy Donovan be quick, you know, with the timeout trigger. 
especially if the if the Bulls offense is doing what you were just uh, you know describing out of the gate. You know, we've seen him you know take some pretty quick timeouts in first quarters if things aren't going well, and the Bulls offense is looking disjointed, disorganized, and the ball's sticking instead of moving. Um, I think it's easier to correct that if you just you know start the game on a wrong foot and you just kind of have to make a, a early game adjustment to what your opponent is doing. Um, and, and it's easier to get back on track earlier in the game as opposed to sometimes it's those offensive droughts late that can really kill you. And it almost killed the Bulls, as you mentioned. You know, they gave up a double-digit lead um, late in this game and, and had to go to OT to eke out a win. So, yes, it's, it's, it's noticeable. You never want to give up those runs. Um, but as I mentioned yesterday, uh, looking you know back at the Bulls-Patriots game from all the way back in December, the Bulls' second game of the season, at least these runs, as you said, were, were smaller and manageable, and the Bulls were able to correct them. They were able to get that bucket they needed to stop the bleeding on multiple occasions. Uh, compared to their blowout loss to the Pacers back in December, they gave up a 21 to nothing run in the second quarter and an 18 to nothing run to start the third quarter. So, you know, baby steps. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I'm just looking at, you know, they had... They had probably their worst quarter, which was the fourth, and they gave up 35 points to Indy and allowed them back into this game. We could talk a little bit about that, and I want to talk about some of the frustration Zach Levine was having last night, uh, specifically with not being, I mean, can this can this dude get a foul call, please? I mean, seriously, man. Trey Young's out here shooting fucking 16 free throws a night, and Zach Levine gets hacked three times, three times on one play, and can't get a fucking whistle, and instead he gets a technical for that. It's absurd, man. It's absurd. Again, he doesn't get the calls that some of these other guys in this league get, and I'm finally glad that he voiced his frustration and took the tack for it, because you need to at some point. It's like you get hacked three times, and you don't get a foul, and you still make the shot. It's insane. Insane. Yeah, it, it it is. It's it's always frustrating to watch, Jordan. You know what else is frustrating? Paying too much for auto parts when you don't need to. True. Today's episode of Locked On Bulls is brought to you in part by RockAuto.com. With the ever increasing number of makes and models, it's almost impossible to stock all the parts your car needs in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or even intimidating questioning about your car? while waiting for the person behind the counter to order the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand that their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. That's right, hundreds. They've got everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. And best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and they are the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why spend up to twice as much money for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Be sure to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Yeah, Jordan, I I'm with you. I am glad that Zach um you know displayed his frustration. Um hope, you know, thankfully the 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 technical didn't end up costing the Bulls a win. You know, they didn't lose by one in overtime. But um, I, I think he has a right to be frustrated. When you see 
that replay of that one in particular that earned him the tech that absolutely should have been an and one. You watch the replay and you don't even need to watch it in slow motion. He goes up for a layup, gets chopped across the forearm as he's laying the ball in. No whistle. No whistle. Where's the whistle? It's clearly contact. Contact drawn by a player averaging 28 freaking points a game, NBA officials, in case you weren't aware. And instead of the Bulls having a three-point play, no. Zach gets teed up, and the Pacers get a free free throw. It was absurd. It was the latest example in a absurd line of examples of Zach Levine continuously being disrespected by the officials of this league who are not recognizing him as a damn near 30 points per game scorer. And I don't want to hear anything about, well, you got to win first to earn respect from officials. No. Does Bradley Beal get that call? Yeah. Does last year Devin Booker, whose Phoenix Suns haven't won shit, get that call? Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. It and it's is. honestly starting to piss me off. It is, man. And it's not even just about the foul calls, too. It's late in game. Zach isn't getting the benefit of the doubt for this team, and it's turning into these late games. And I'm not blaming some of the, the blown games of the last year or two uh, on missed calls or anything like that. It's a combination of that, though. When Zach doesn't get the same calls as some of the other stars in this league do consistently at the end of games, it it throws off in an entire run. It, it throws off the momentum you have in a game. It only continues to frustrate not only Zach, but his teammates, too. You see it. The Bulls are guilty of this, and it's guilty of any young team, is wearing your emotions on your sleeve. Kobe has done it over the last month to a T. Anytime he misses a shot, you can visibly see he's frustrated and angry. I get that. I get that. It just comes with the league. But I mean, let me list you really quick all of the players in the NBA right now that are averaging more free throw attempts per game than Zach Levine. And this is disrespectful as fuck. Joel Embiid, Trey Young, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jimmy Butler, Bradley Beal, Luka Doncic, Damian Lillard, Kevin Durant, Zion Williamson, James Harden, DeMar DeRozan, Julius Randle, De'Aaron Fox, SGA, Kawhi Leonard, Bam Adebayo, LeBron James, Jeremy Grant, Rudy Gobert, Damana Sabonis, Anthony Davis, Colin Sexton, Brandon Ingram, Nikola Jokic, Devin Booker, Evan Fournier, Steph Curry, John Morant, Ben Simmons. I mean, there's there's a there's a dozen guys on that list that don't deserve to get as many foul calls as Zach does per game, and and, and it's not even about a driving thing, man. He drives to the basket how many times a game? He drives constantly. <laughs> It's it's unbelievable, though, man, and I can understand why Zach is pissed off, and I don't blame him for getting that tech, and like you said, I'm glad it didn't affect the outcome of the game, and the Bulls still ended up winning, but honestly, at this point, man, I wouldn't give a shit if the Bulls lost that game because of that, because I would have been just as pissed off as Zach was uh, last night. with The play you were describing is Miles Turner. First, he hacks Zach on the left hand. Zach flips the ball from the left to the right, goes up with his right hand to lay the ball in, and then he gets hacked on the right hand he got hacked twice on that play and nothing and that that's where he ended up getting called for attack it's right mind at at least he got the foul calls on two late overtime you know inbounds passes and at least they didn't you know fabricate some made-up bullshit jump ball this time like they did yeah exactly (laughs) uh like i i was waiting for that to happen i you know and Again, going back to that Portland, you know, loss. Yeah, maybe Donovan should have called a timeout there when Zach had the ball and was getting ambushed. But maybe Billy Donovan, uh, who had five years of playing with players who get respect from refs in OKC, 
KD, Westbrook, Paul George, Chris Paul, thought, oh, that's my best player. That's my star player who just got the inbounds pass. Yeah, they're going to blow a whistle and he's going to go to the free throw line, um, which thankfully the refs actually managed to do at least that. And Zach was able to ice this game with free throws in overtime. But I mean, yeah, you're right, man. It's just it's just been really frustrating to watch. You mentioned Sabonis was on that list um, of players having more free throw attempts per game than Zach this season. He shot 14 to Zach's six last night. And really, 11 of 14 at the free throw line is all that salvaged Sabonis' awful night. That's one of the worst games I've ever seen DeMontis Sabonis play. He had eight turnovers um, and was seven of 19 from the field. Like, you know, he picked things up a little bit in the second half, but man, he had an ugly night. But hey, at least he got to the free throw line 14 freaking times. <laughs> yeah, Miles Turner had a massive night too, blocking shots. He had six blocks. But yeah, even a bad night for Demonis Sabonis is 25-10-5-1 and, and four blocks. It's, it's, it's crazy. I think the Pacers probably win this game if Doug McDermott plays. I know that's weird to say, but he's been... I mean, he's been a scoring machine off the bench for the Pacers as of late, man, and he's finally figuring out the three-point shot and actually getting buckets around the rim, too. So I think they missed him last night because they only yeah. shot shot nine for 33, 27% from the field from three, and they desperately missed him last night. So Yeah, uh, I think he had 26 in their win over the weekend. Yeah, and a couple weeks ago, he had over 30, too. So when he knocks down that three, combine that with figuring out how to score around the rim, uh, he's a he's been a legit scorer off the bench for that Pacers team this year. So, uh, But I, I thought it was a good win against the Pacers. It's a good win against a good team. They're 500. The Bulls now are 11-15. and 15. So uh, this is one of those games that we talk about that we didn't want to have to come today and talk about how many different ways the Bulls found a way to lose this one. This is a building block game, I feel like, to an extent. Because honestly, let me ask you this before we go to the Draymond stuff. Even with the Bulls holding like an 11 point lead in the third quarter, I felt like the Bulls with a lead last night throughout the entire game just looked uncomfortable. They looked uncomfortable playing with a lead and taking weird shots, taking like bizarre, bizarre shot attempts, shot selection, passes, easy turnovers that they were making and allowed the Pacers to climb back in this one. But even being up 11 in that third quarter, I felt like the, the team looked uncomfortable out there. Yeah, I think it's natural that the Bulls so far this season have been more comfortable playing from behind than with a lead because they have been trailing more than they've been winning. Um, but again, that's mostly just a a youth thing. Uh, you know, the the overused term, you know, learning how to win, et cetera, et cetera, that you hear from Donovan, that you hear from a vet like Thad Young, it, it isn't just a phrase. Um, young players in, in the NBA always struggle with holding leads and closing games and winning games that they should. I mean, the Bulls could easily be 15 and 11 instead of 11 and 15 this season with, uh, you know, some of these just heart uh, heartbreaking close losses they've had where maybe they should have closed games and maybe, yeah, a, a call or two doesn't go their way and that doesn't help. But Closing games, man. Uh, I, I was worried. I'm right there with you. I was worried that the Bulls weren't going to close this one out, and especially when it went to overtime. Because like usually, we've seen this season that home court advantage basically means nothing at this point with these empty stadiums. And I know some teams around the league are starting to put new, you know, small numbers of fans in the stadiums now. They just announced earlier this morning that the Bucks are the next team that are going to start doing that and growing to like 1,800 fans over the over their next few home games. But 
by and large, home court hasn't meant diddly this season. Usually, home court is even like more important when a game goes to OT. A team that's tired, a team that's on the road, a team that's been traveling, when you have to play that extra five minutes, usually it's the home team that pulls those games out. So even without fans in the stands, I was looking at that OT thinking, no, oh, the Bulls are going to cough this up. They're the, you know, they're the road team. Indy's going to get the calls in overtime. So fortunate that they were able to finish it out. But yeah, I'm with you. It, it, it did not look like a secure win at any point <laughs> from mid third quarter on. Man, you're you're right about that too. I was looking across, and just from like the betting angle that I've been looking at this season specifically, most teams have played better on the road than they have played at home. And like for the Bulls, the Bulls generally over this this four year rebuild have played a lot worse at home than they have on the road, which is very bizarre. But uh, yeah, you're right, man. I, I don't know what it is, and the home court advantage isn't that big. But maybe it's less distractions while you're on the road, and that's why teams are are performing so well. And at least when you're at home, you get a little bit of a break from all of the protocols um, that you might have to be following while you're on the road, living in hotels, staying in hotels and all of that. So it is, it's a very Maybe bizarre it was an season. inside job from all of these players who have been on these, you know, <laughs> sputtering rebuild Bulls teams over the last four years because, you know, we saw Bulls attendance at home games plummet over the last three years. Uh, even when the Bulls have been bad, they're always, you know, top three in the league in attendance at the United Center. Until recently, when this rebuild got so bad that so many Bulls fans said, enough is enough. I'm not paying a single dime to walk through the United Center doors until something's done about it. And hey, guess who finally woke up? Old Grandpa Jerry. Wait, what's that? We're not packing the UC anymore? Oh, what's that? We suck? Oh, what's that? John Paxson is is asking us to fire himself? Okay, finally, some change. Maybe those home losses, man, maybe they were all planned. We know as well as anyone that we've not done anything. Before we go to the Draymond stuff. God, I love that soundbite. Before we go to Draymond, uh, I want to tell you quickly about BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to place bets on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline is you covered from the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So you deposit $500, you get $250 for free. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Make sure to use the promo code Locked On when you sign up to get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Um, so Matt, before we go into Draymond's post-game stuff, let's just take a listen to what he had to say in post in case some people out there missed it. It was across social media, it was across Twitter all last night and this morning. It's been one of the main topics being talked about around the NBA. Uh, but for those that might have missed it, here is what Draymond had to say about some teams holding players out, uh, the way that we're reacting to players in certain situations that don't want to be there. Here's what Draymond had to say. To watch Andre Drummond before the game uh, sit on the sideline, then go to the back and then come out in street clothes because a team is going to trade him is bullshit. Because when James Harden asked for a trade and essentially dogged it, I don't think there was no surprise or no, you know, there's no one's going to fight back that James was dogging it his last days in Houston. But he was castrated 
for one to go to a different team and everybody destroyed that man. And yet a team can come out and say, oh, we want to trade a guy. And then that guy is to go sit. And if he doesn't stay professional, then he's a cancer and he's not good in someone's locker room and he's the issue. And we've seen situations of Harrison Barnes getting pulled off the bench. You know, DeMarcus Cousins finding out that he's traded in an interview after the All-Star game. And we continue to let this happen. But I got fined for stating my opinion of what I thought should happen with another player. But teams can come out and continue to say, oh, we're trading guys. We're not playing you. And yet we're to stay professional. At some point, as players, we need to be treated with the same respect and have the same rights that the team can have. Because as a player, you're the worst person in the world when you want a different situation. But a, but a team can say they're trading you, and that man is to stay in shape. He is to stay professional. And if not, his career is on the line. At some point, this league has to protect the players from embarrassment like that. You know, we talk all of this stuff about you can't do this. You can't say that publicly. If you say that publicly, you're fine. Anthony Davis got fined, I think, $100,000 or something like that for demanding a trade publicly. But you can say Andre Drummond is getting traded publicly and we're looking to trade him publicly and he's to stay professional and just deal with it. But then when Kyrie Irving say, oh, my mental health is off, Everybody go crazy about that, too. Do you not think that affects someone mentally? As much as we put into this game to be great, to come out here and be in shape, to produce for fans every single night, and most importantly, to help your team win, do you think that doesn't affect someone mentally? But as players, we're told to, ah, no, you can't say that, you can't say this, but teams can? It goes along the same lines of when, when everyone wants to say, Oh, man, that young guy can't figure it out. But no one wants to say the organization can't figure it out. At some point, the players must be respected in these situations, and it's ridiculous, and I'm sick of seeing it. Y'all have a great night. I'll see y'all tomorrow or Wednesday. All right, so there's a lot in there that I agree with. There's a, there's some stuff that I don't agree, necessarily agree with as a fan. Uh, Matt, your first thoughts when you kind of heard this about Draymond kind of going off, and it wasn't necessarily just about Andre Drummond or Blake Griffin but it was more so just about the the way that I guess these guys feel as players and how that they're being treated uh, especially around the trade deadline or when they're unhappy in situations because I do kind of feel for what Draymond is saying yeah I do too um I, I think the the interesting part of it to me is who it's coming from because Draymond over the span of the Warriors being, you know, the team of the 2010s, um, a, a guy who is known as, uh, albeit slightly difficult at times, a great teammate, uh, a guy who is respected across the league and one of the most important players on a team that won, you know, three titles. Um, he is a person who is known for speaking truth to power in this league and sometimes he hits the nail on the head and sometimes I think he is trying to speak truth to power but is doing it in a way that is uh, uh, you know just a little bit askew just a little bit off the mark and I think that like you said there's there's kind of some of both of that in here um 
his essential thesis of the double standard that exists between the ways that organizations can treat players who are about to be traded versus players trying to, um, you know, have some of their freedoms uh, and exercise said freedoms when they want to be traded. Yes, I believe that to a certain extent that that double standard exists. I don't think that it was his best tool his best arguing point in this debate, um, you know, if, if he were on the debate team, using Harden as example 1A in his argumentative thesis, not great. Because most everybody right now in the NBA who pays attention, fans, media, players, executives, most people who looked at that James Harden situation said, this dude's being a diva right now. Yes, players who are under contract have the right to request a trade and want out. Um, but Harden, in some of his recent comments, saying, you know, I tried. I gave them everything. It, you know, I was doing it all by myself. I can't win scoring 40 points every night. Didn't they also basically give him everything that he wanted? Bring him teammates that he wanted? They got him Dwight Howard. That didn't work. They got him CP3. That didn't work. They got him Russ. That didn't work. I mean, they went small for a Harden-optimized lineup. That didn't work. They had an opportunity, a grand opportunity, to get to the finals a few years back with an injured Kevin Durant and, and, a, and a series right there for the taking. What happened? Harden choked. He's a very, very talented player. He's one of the most talented players in the league right now. But Harden, in my opinion acted like a spoiled brat at the end of his tenure in Houston and Draymond using him as the first example, as the main example, it, it makes the thesis fall a little flat in my opinion. I mean, it reminds me so much of like the, the cases that have been going on in the NFL the last few years, you know, most significantly, I feel like Le'Veon Bell being one of them where a lot of fans agreed with what Le'Veon Bell was doing and why he wanted to sit out. But you're always going to have a fraction of, of fans who side with the owners, which is, I don't know, now in 2021, I think it's even more bizarre and crazy to side with the ownership and your specific team than it is to, to side with your players, right? I understand. I, I totally agree with, I think, everything that you're saying about James Harden. The Harden situation... I see what Draymond's saying, but I don't necessarily agree with it. Let's also consider the fact that Draymond or that James Harden opted out of the last two years of his contract. He opted. He he was being paid a max contract. He didn't stay in shape. He did all of the things in his own power to get himself moved, and that's fine. But that comes with the decision that you wanted to be out and you didn't want to try to fix things in Houston. You're still under contract, man. I I don't I don't. I don't put any negatives on James Harden for doing the things that he did in order to get himself out of Houston. Those are the choices that he made. But you have to also take the negatives that come with that, too. It's the criticisms that you're going to get from Rockets fans. It's the criticism you're going to get around the NBA for people thinking that way. That's fine. You have to just understand that those are going to come with the decisions that you're making if you're Harden. I get what Draymond's saying about the Kyrie stuff, too. I, I totally understand that. And it's not just Kyrie. He was bringing up other examples as well. But giving players more power and basically having the teams 
fans turn on these players when they decide, hey, you know what, this place isn't for me anymore. I want a different situation. I'm going to do what's right for me. I think is very unfair, and also when they turn around on a dime and tell guys like, yeah, Andre Drummond, who's been having a great year, to, hey, you know what, go sit on the bench till we can find you a deal. I get why they're doing it from an organizational standpoint, but it sucks for the player. It, it, it really does. It throws you out of a rhythm. Maybe you're not as good as it, two weeks from now when you do get dealt going to a different team. It just throws everything off, and I feel like sometimes there's a power imbalance, and of course there's going to be with teams, but a power imbalance when it comes to the decision-making that players make in order to get what they want and decisions that are made by the team's organizations in the league for them to get what they want. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but I understand it from both sides. And I see what Draymond's saying. Absolutely. And I mean, like, you know, I was just pointing out that Harden was a bad example to use. Totally agree. He was out partying with little baby. Right. Like more often than not, I'm siding with the players in this league and the players association and the players rights over the organizations and ownerships. Um, Yeah. Bulls fans, even younger ones, got told the story just recently uh, with the last dance doc last year of Scottie Pippen versus his ownership and Scottie Pippen versus management and how grossly underpaid he was and the ways in which he was, you know, peacefully protesting that contract and wanting a new one. Um, You know, it's something that's gone on, you know, for a long time. And the more that the more money the league has made, the higher the cap has gotten, the more money that's at stake that, you know, we get these kinds of situations all the more often. But yes, I mean, Harden is an outlier example, I think. Most often, I'm sorry with the players, I think it is messed up that what, most often when a player you know, leaks to the media, I want out, I'm not happy, I want to be traded, they can be you know, scolded by their team for, for saying such things. They can even, in, in some ways, be punished by their team for saying such things. Um, you know, if... if if God forbid they talk about wanting to play with other players on other teams in this league, they can be fined by the league for quote unquote tampering. But while teams can also be fined for tampering and executives can be fined for tampering, coaches can be fined for tampering. You don't see the league like fining teams for leaking things about wanting to trade certain players, putting certain players on the trade docket like that. That there is the double standard that I think Draymond was trying to articulate that he fell a little bit short of, which is not fair. And I agree with him that it is not fair. A player gets a certain label for requesting a trade, but when a team leaks, hey, this player is available for trade, and this is how we're going to treat said player while we are trying to trade them, that is just seen as, well, yeah, that's just kind of how the league operates. That's the double standard that Draymond's talking about, and he's right about that. Think about it in context of the Bulls, man. Uh, I think there's a, a good point that you're bringing up there is that the double standard of how teams are perceived after they treat players, whether it be in free agency, while they're with the team, or leading up to a trade. Think about the way that Bobby Portis felt and, and the things that he was told leading up to the trade deadline, and then all of a sudden it was a 180 flip. Like He loved being here, but he even said... To himself and he said to fans like I didn't like the way that things went down the last few weeks before I was leading up to being dealt I mean the dude was told that he wasn't going to be dealt otherwise other than being for LeBron or KD and then 20 48 hours later he's flipped so that's just part of the business I get that but I understand why some players would be frustrated by that is like the way that you treat 
the way that organizations treat their players, even from the very second that they leave, I think has an imprint on on the way that they're talked about. I think it's negatively affect the Bulls, right? It's negatively affect them with free agency, and I think it's it's also costed them a few relationships with players at the end. Even if things didn't work out here, like Bobby's example, I think he worked out here ninety nine point nine percent of the time. That little end part though just sours some players, and he's not the only one, man. Uh, as much as no. people hated Jabari and, and didn't like yeah. the fit here, he's also somebody too. You know that got got sent to the end of the bench and said, "Hey, go sit there until we can find a place for you to be to be dealt to." Yeah, I, that's the one that uh, I was going to bring up next. And you know me, I mean, the loudest Jabari hater among the entire Bulls fan base. Uh, I was groaning about it before it was a reality, and then I groaned about it louder when it became a reality and groaned louder and louder until he left. And even me, I was like, yeah, the Bulls did not treat Jabari all that well. And he clearly had some comments after he left that expressed as much. And then, of course, you know, the big example, the biggest star the Bulls have had, you know, in in the post-D Rose years, at least, Jimmy Butler, and some of the things that he said and some of the things that his people said about how he was treated as the Bulls were were getting ready to trade him. And, um, you know, it's it's something that was a recurring problem. And hopefully, with this new front office in place, there is a new, a new power structure, a new voice, a new identity that comes along with the hires of Arturis and Mark uh, and Donovan and his staff. And you just hope that slowly that stain washes away because it can hurt you. You know, the... I don't think it's the, you know, gigantic be all end all lone reason the Bulls haven't had more success landing free agents in recent years, because there are really only a handful of teams in this league that could get the free agents when they are free agents, and it's desirable markets, it's desirable warm weather cities, it's coastal cities, and even though the Bulls are the third largest market, nobody wants to come play in Chicago, um, for a myriad of reasons. So it's not only about that reputation. But that, but it's certainly partly about that, and you hope that Gar's stink is gone, and and that John's stink slowly erodes, even though he has you know a corner office at the Advocate Center still for his consulting fee. Here in the Advocate Center, you you just hope that the Bulls are able to work past that. I'm with you, man. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't even have to be guys that were it, like rotation players too. I always think about. As much as we make fun, like we we poke fun, but like Paul Zipser, his ending to his career here in Chicago and all the things that he's said since then and the way that his injuries were handled, the way he was told to go out and play and then all of a sudden not brought back after they realized that there was an injury there and he was going to have to have surgery, like all of those things, again, like you were saying, could be completely different part of a past regime being here and how things were operated, but those things take time to heal and I promise you players talk and this the NBA is such a tight-knit league. Guys talk all over the place. Guys are friends with guys on other teams all over the place, too. And it's definitely gotten back to the Bulls. And it's it's probably negatively hurt them in some extents, too. So I, uh, I think about that in that way. But again, I don't know how much of it's going to really change, man. It's part of the business. It's part of the strategy for teams is being u- being able to use that as leverage for, for being able to deal guys. But I can understand why, guys, if you're having a good season and maybe you do want to get dealt to a contender, why you wouldn't want to be taken off the floor for two, three weeks at a time and told to go sit until you're dealt somewhere like that could completely not only screws up 
your season, but it also could mess with with how much money you're going to make. Maybe you are a free agent. Like take Denzel, for example, going into free agency. If you don't play for two or three weeks, go to a different team and struggle. Do you blame that partly because you were taken out of the rotation for two or three weeks before you were dealt? Those are things that I think about, too. And it's it's 100 percent a valid argument. Yeah. Kind of makes you wonder, too, you know, as as you're drawing parallels between the the league at large and what Draymond was talking about and where the Bulls are in their current situation. Some of the pieces that might be the the most on deck, the next on deck trade piece. Um, and that might be a veteran like Thad or a veteran like Otto, as opposed to you know any of these pieces of the young core, which maybe AK waits to to trade next offseason after a full season of evaluation. We'll see. But I mean, take like a piece like that. Uh, I mean, Otto, for example, in and out with these back spasms and back flare ups. The the most recent update was Donovan saying, well, yeah, he tried to practice. He tried to get some shots up, but like he got shots up and his back acted up. And so he can't really do anything right now. I mean, I, I wonder a little bit how much of this is uh, a, a very serious back issue that Otto has and how much of it is Otto, as you have said, you know, going back to episodes, you know, during training camp, trying to keep himself healthy. Maybe the team trying to keep him as healthy as possible to maybe trade him as an expiring deal. Um, how motivated is Otto to play this season? Dude's on. The dude's in a contract year. And based on the last two seasons of his quote-unquote performance, whenever he's been available, he, he ain't getting anywhere close to what he's just finishing up on his current contract. He ain't getting half of that. I mean, talk about the other guy, man, Chandler Hutchison, too, who had we had just talked about a couple of weeks ago. And I said, I wonder if this is a conversation centered around trading and Mm -hmm. they want to keep him healthy because if he if he's if he gets hurt in in a week, week leading up to the trade deadline, it deals off the table. Teams aren't going to take guys, especially if they're they're role players where you're looking for some upside and maybe they're a piece or two away from a deal. You don't want a deal to collapse because a guy gets hurt in a game that uh, for the Bulls might not mean as much uh, in the grand scheme of things than the trade would. So I I definitely think that's a point too. And at some point, man, maybe this week or next, we need to circle back to Otto because, uh, uh, you know, thinking about Paul George's injury right now, the foot edema that he's had, uh, Otto had something similar a couple of years ago, and I think that that is is playing a factor at least into some of the other nagging injuries that he's had over his career since landing here in Chicago. So uh, maybe we can dive into a discussion a little bit about that because that is a no joke injury, man. It cost Otto the rest of his season when he had it back in Washington, and they're saying Paul George could be ready in two to four weeks, but uh, I guess we just kind of wait and see on that. But yeah, this has been a good conversation, man. I think it's going to be one that's going to be uh, talked about a ton leading up to to the draft and to the draft to the trade deadline a month from now yeah um i mean a lot of teams are gonna feel like they are a piece or two away from making a run at it um you know we'll we'll see what happens with anthony davis and this injury um you know that sidelined him for at least two to three weeks it sounds like probably through the remaining you know first half part of the nba calendar uh, but, you know, the Jazz look like the best team in the league right now. There are a lot of quality teams in the East. There's no clear favorite in the East right now that I would say um, between, you know, Philly and, and Milwaukee and, and and all of them. I think because COVID has had such a weird effect on this season in, in, in a non-bubble, every team sees this as an opportunity to make a run for it, which means that 
every team in the league is going to be making phone calls leading up to March 25th. And my guess is that in any ways that AK and Eversley see an opportunity to better position themselves for next season and beyond, they will absolutely be making and receiving phone calls uh, over the next month, whether it's about some of those vets or pieces of this young core. So honestly, I, I hope they make a move. I've seen enough of what this roster is again this season. I feel the way I feel about the pieces of this quote unquote core that we have. I'm, I'm ready for them to start to start dealing, man. Plenty of trade discussion hypotheticals too in our text and voicemail line that we'll have to get to on tomorrow's episode. These are like some of my favorite mailbags is when we lead up to the trade deadline. Last year was massive, man. We had one of the biggest months in our show's history surrounding around the trade deadline. So hoping for that to be similar. And the Bulls didn't end up doing (laughs) anything, man. Uh, Two trade deadlines ago, too, that was a massive one. really thought they had what they needed. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, you know, we've had injuries, so we we still have to evaluate what we have. Uh, pretty sure you played like the first 35, 40 games of the season with a mostly healthy roster, and you were god-awful. Instead, you went and complained about not giving up Robin Lopez or things like that, you know? It's just, it's ridiculous, man. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I think the Bulls are going to make a move. Now the question is, what kind of move and what it will, how will it directly affect not just this season, but uh, the near future? So if you want to hit us up with your trade hypotheticals, uh, things that you think the Bulls should do leading up to the deadline, maybe you want to talk a little bit about these games, uh, how a certain player is playing, whatever's on your mind about the Bulls or the NBA in general, hit us up at 331-979-1369. Your text, your voicemail's there. You can email us at Locked on Bulls at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley, Bulls Nation. Have a wonderful day. Be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Paul Zipster, who we're high on. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com. Thanks a lot.